Welcome to the Lucky Let Cord Podcast, a Tennis Now production sponsored by Tennis Express. I'm your host, Chris Otto, coming to you from Wimbledon on day 13 of the fortnight. It is the final day of Wimbledon 2018. We will see the men's single final between Novak Djokovic of Serbia and Kevin Anderson of South Africa. Djokovic going for his 13th major title and his first since he won Roland Garros in 2016. It has been a long road for Djokovic to get back to this form, but he showed his very best tennis by taking out Rafael Nadal in the semifinals, 10-8 in the fifth. It was an epic match, and it followed another somewhat epic match and also a controversial match between Kevin Anderson and John Isner. Isner was defeated by Anderson 26 24 in the fifth set on Friday. It was a match that took six hours and 36 minutes to complete. It is the second longest match in Grand Slam history, the longest match ever played on Wimbledon's fabled center court, and it brought about a bit of controversy. Pundits and fans alike debating the merit of a match like this and wondering if maybe we should begin having a tiebreaker at 6-6 in the fifth set, maybe 9-9 in the fifth set, maybe 12-12, anything to keep this type of match from occurring because it wreaked a lot of havoc on the schedule. It pushed back the second men's semifinal, which then had to be completed over two days, and that allowed the men's semifinal to then be played on Saturday, which pushed back the women's final, and that was an epic victory for Angelique Kerber. Kerber, the German, wins third major title in the women's final, defeating Serena Williams, just the second player in history to defeat Serena Williams more than once in a major final. And Kerber surely headed for the Hall of Fame after another solid victory. She owned the court on Saturday and has now become a Wimbledon champion. To break this all down, we bring in Tennis Hall of Famer Steve Flink, nice enough to join us just after Kerber sealed her victory and hoisted the Venus Rosewater dish. It was a special day at Wimbledon, albeit a chaotic one because the men's semifinal had to go down earlier. We debate these topics, talk about the form of Novak Djokovic, talk about the excellent performance of Angelique Kerber and what it means going forward, and then we step into a preview of today's men's final. So let's get straight into that interview now. Greetings from Wimbledon just moments after the women's singles final. Ladies singles here at SW19. I am pleased to be joined by Hall of Famer Steve Flink. Hello, Steve. Chris, it's great to be back here again. The same spot we did our last podcast, so it's going to bring us good luck. I hope so. Um, Well, amazing day, right? Uh, Starting with the men's semifinal, finishing up between Novak Djokovic and Rafael Nadal. Let's hit on that quickly. First of all, the scenario with the two sets that needed to be completed. You ever seen anything like that before? And, and also the fourth set of a match starting with the roof closed on a sunny day. Strange, huh? Yeah, I mean, I've seen big matches completed. Once I saw Federer and, and Agassi at the U.S. Open stopped at two sets to one one night, came back the next day. And, you know, Federer was able to finish it off in five. So I've seen that situation. But I haven't seen a match continue quite in this fashion where, you know, they, they fortunately both players stayed at the same high level that they had exhibited the night before when Djokovic took the two sets to one lead. And then it came back today and he had all these chances in the fourth and he had, should, could have broken Rafa in the first game and he broke back when came from three love back to three all and finally lost the set 6-3. But that was after having Rafa love 40 in the last game of the four. So I thought, this is interesting, because now Djokovic gets to start serving the fifth. Uh, and and it, 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 you just wonder, would he regroup quickly? Would he get right back and stay 
purposeful and concentrated, and that's exactly what he did. And I thought they both played a whale of a fifth set. I mean, 10-8, obviously, eventually for Novak, but both of them was with having these opportunities along the way, starting when Djokovic had a break point for 5-3 in the fifth, and then the next game he's down 15-40, and he later had a 15-40. Rafa kept bailing himself out from Love 30 and 15-30, and then from match point down with a brilliant drop shot winner, but finally... Novak got the break at Love in the last game. Frankly, I think he was the just slightly better player, and he deserved it. And his clutch serving in the fifth set was astounding at times. Yeah, I think he was somewhere at 23, 24 aces. Just unbelievable serving under pressure that I didn't expect yeah. to see from him here at Wimbledon. Well, I wasn't surprised, to tell you the truth, because he'd start, he, he, ser- he was serving well early in the tournament. I've seen the serve coming around, Chris, for quite some time. I thought there were times in Paris where it was terrific, too. And I could see that the motion was freer and freer and smoother and smoother. And and when he's in that kind of sink, he actually wasn't... He's not quite at the speeds consistently he was for a while that we saw a couple years back when you'd see 122, 123 against Roger Federer in the 2015 U.S. Open final. But he's serving aces at 116, 117, 119, occasionally 120. So his placement is just impeccable. And that's how he got Rafa, with pinpoint accuracy on that serve. Yeah. And, uh, and that, that, in the end, was a big difference because it was Novak who was serving first in the fifth, so he's constantly putting Rafa under pressure. And then I thought he dealt with Rafa's uh, steadfastness awfully well because it, you know, sometimes it can be jarring when you think you had him at love 30 and the match could be over and Rafa bails himself out with some great serving and shot making. But Novak would just keep going right back to work. I enjoyed that match even more than I enjoyed Nadal Del Potro, and that's saying something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought it was incredible as well. They, they impressed so much the, um, to do it on over two nights, to do it under pressure for so long. And they've just... had a couple of others like that, Chris. I put this almost pretty much on the same shelf, and that's, of course, the, two thir- the 2013 French Open semi where Novak was up a break 4-3 in the fifth and the famous oh, yeah. moment where he touched the net oh, yeah. on the sort of semi overhead, and he eventually lost 9-7 in the fifth. And then there was 8-6 in the fifth in that epic Australian final of 2012 that Novak won, 5 hours, 53 minutes. So this one today, I really put it right up there for caliber with the other two, and I think it's a great sign for Novak in his resurgence, and I fully expect him to win the title and get his 13th major and his fourth Wimbledon here. And I also think that Rafa's going to keep going. There's nothing to be ashamed of. He would have won this title, too. He, he knew he was that close. They both knew yep. that with the condition that Anderson's in, it's, it's highly unlikely that they would lose to Kevin. Not that they would take it for granted, but who's going to recover from six hours and 36 minutes on the heels of a over four-hour match against Roger Federer in the previous round? It's an awful lot of stress and strain, and, and it's going to be even with the day off. I don't see how uh, Anderson could could do it and frankly I think they're analyzing that as well and I think both players were fully it was in the backs of their minds I think as they competed so furiously across this fifth set today yeah, there was, it was a high-stakes match for sure the de facto final and so nice to see these two play a classic at Wimbledon yeah, because their Wimbledon final they'd once played in, a, in 07 in the semi, Novak had to retire at 4-1 down the third and that, hardly anybody even saw that match and then they had the 11 final which was well played but you always thought Djokovic had the upper hand there and he won it in four sets. And you never really thought even when Rafa came back and won the third that he was going to win the match. So I think uh, this one was, you know, this one, as I say, goes right up there with those Australian and French Open classics that they played. And 
and I, I think it's, it has to be one, one of the three or four best matches they've ever had. Yeah, of the 52, which is amazing. And, and so- that also widens, and Novak could have been caught by Rafa, and now he, he extends the lead in the career <laughs> series to 27-25. It's important to him, I think, because he has a career edge now, two matches up over Rafa, one match over Roger Federer up in that rivalry as well, which is, to me, a, a, a really remarkable achievement. Some would say, oh, but, you know, what, wait a minute, you know, Roger's getting old. And no, I don't, I don't believe that. I, don't, I think Djokovic deserves full marks for the fact that he's come from so far back in both rivalries to overtake his two greatest rivals on a head-to-head basis. It shows you what a, what a great player he is. And of course, he's on the cusp now of winning his 13th major. Someone just won their third major title today, and that was Angelique Kerber, who holds the Venus Rosewater dish, taking out Serena Williams 6-3, 6-3 in the finals. That was just moments ago. Do you have an instant take on that for us, Steve? Well, I thought it was an interesting first set. I thought Serena might be turning. And Kerber took a two-love lead, and then Serena broke back and won three games in a row. But from there, she lost the last three games of the first set. And then, of course, went down 6-3 in the second. So it's 9 out of 12 games she lost that Kerber closed the match with. I thought she was rock solid from the base on Kerber, strategically, strategically sound. She, didn't, she really made it difficult for Serena to take control of points or to ever feel like she had a an, an rhythm or an ability to sort of impose her will, which we all expected she would. And her returning was quite good. Not a great serving day for Serena. Not a great day, period. She actually played oh. a pretty bad match. But it took a Kerber who is so, uh, so unerring and so uh, tough mentally to stay on task like that so that she just didn't give any, any inkling of hope to Serena Williams today. And I thought it was impressive. That's the second time in three major finals that she's beaten Serena. She beat her in the Australian 16, lost to her here in a good match, which may have been one of the encouraging factors for her. She lost that match in 16 on the center court, but she thought, thought to herself, I was in that. I acquitted myself well. I, if, if, under the right circumstances, I can beat her, even at Wimbledon. And that's yeah. exactly what she did. Only had five unforced errors, 24 for Serena. So yeah. that's quite a contrast. And I, there's no doubt she knew that Serena was self-destructing, but she had to s- stick with her game plan and, and in order to make sure that those errors kept... Uh, it kept coming in clusters, and that's exactly what happened. They did, yeah. And what amazes me most about this, statistically is that Serena made 75% of first serves, and Angelique got 80% of returns back in play. She yeah. made her play, she made her work. She made her play, and Serena just didn't serve big enough, consistently enough. She had a big 125 in the first set. You thought, okay, now she's really going to start yeah. unloading these first serves, but maybe she just didn't have it in her today to serve, serve at full force consistently, because that shouldn't really happen against any any player. On the other hand, Give uh, give Angie a lot of credit for the fact that she even at, at the lesser speeds that she got so many balls back, and that was true in the rallies too. She took some punishing blows from Serena from the backcourt too, and yeah. kept keeping the ball back very deep. Her running forehand was just terrific. I thought actually Serena might have been better off to try to play Kerber's backhand a bit more than she did, but she was she was sort of she was just getting outmaneuvered throughout the match. You're listening to the Lucky Let Court podcast, a Tennis Now production. Sponsored by Tennis Express. Now back to the interview with Tennis Hall of Famer, Steve Flink. Yeah, and what do you make of Serena's push? You think she's just a little bit too early in her comeback here? Do you think yeah, you I think still if see we, her catching if, Margaret? Oh, yeah, 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 definitely. It might even be at the U.S. Open. But, right. I mean, if you look at this tournament and how little her preparation was cut short by the injury in Paris, she still played so little, only had Indian Wells in Miami and the French to go on. And she comes here, and she did have a tough one with Mladenovic, almost had her. It was a five and six match. She could easily have lost the first set, which was down 5-3. And the second set was tough all the way through the tiebreak. 
And then she also lost a set to Georgie, you know, in an interesting serving contest that they had. And Georgie pressed her hard, lost in three sets. So there were signs that it wasn't going to be that easy for her. And it all makes sense when you think about it. She shouldn't necessarily be able to walk into Wimbledon, given how little she's played this year. And even if she's the great Serena Williams and possibly the best of all time, yeah, I, I think it, even she realized in the back of her mind, I, may, I might not quite be ready for this. Yeah. I, yeah, I was I was surprised at how easily Angelique Kerber did that. That's impressive. And now she's one of just uh, four active players with more than two major titles. Yeah, I mean it, 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 she's got three, which is which is remarkable because three different ones too. She right. had she had the Australian and U.S. Opens of 2016. Now she wins Wimbledon in 2018. Whether she ever wins a French, I don't know, but I I'm certain that she will make the International Tennis Hall of Fame. Now she's absolutely sealed it. I thought she had it with two, probably. But three cements it, and uh, all credit to her because she's showing herself to be a, a remarkable big match player now. And I, I'd like to see her get. To, I'd like to see her follow up on this and go deep into the U.S. Open. She's fully capable of doing it, as we yeah. saw from the Triumph two years ago. Yeah, we've we've seen her sustain this high level for a full season before, so maybe she will. Before I let you go, crack away on your keyboard and, and get back to work. <laughs> a couple questions on a lot of the stuff. It's all happened so fast here. We just finished the men's the final men's semifinal. Now when the women's final is over. There's been some drama around Wimbledon with the length of the Kevin Anderson and John Isner match and also the decision to move the men's semifinal before the women's final, which pushed it back and caused a delay. Do you have a take, first of all, on the length of the Isner match? And, and there's a lot of uh, conversation now about maybe we should finally go to a, a breaker late in the fifth at some point. What's your See, take I don't, on that? I don't even like that talk, to be, to be honest, the, the notion of late in the fifth. It should be at six all, the way it is in every other set, in my view. I understand the compromise notion of maybe doing it 10-all or 12-all, but I even think that's longer than necessary because why change the rules up? I've always thought the U.S. Open was the only major to get this right. From the right. beginning, they said, we're playing tiebreaks in every single set. Maybe they had television in mind to a degree, but I also just think there's a merit system involved here. And why are you changing the Why can a player win 7-6 in the fourth? So you're going to end the match on a tiebreak. Or a women's match could be 6-4, 7-6. And yet you, the final set can't end in a tiebreak. And I think we saw where it can be a particularly big problem when you're getting to the home stretch of the tournament, the men's semifinals. And you've got, you've got Isner and Anderson who always had the makings of a, of a five-setter. And you always sure knew did. if it did go five, it could it was dangerous because it might go a long, long way. And we got 26-24 in the fifth for Anderson. So I, I just don't, I just hope that I would hope. And Rafa was a little non-committal when he was asked in his press conference how he felt about it. I would hope they would all get together and say yes. We've got to, we have to push on our player board and make sure we have fifth set tie breaks everywhere. Davis Cup and the four majors. And let's let's. Put our voices, let our voices be heard to the ITF and the Grand Slams that that's what we want to do. They're, they'd be making a big mistake, I think, if they didn't do that. Because obviously, look what it did. It made, meant that Nadal and Djokovic had to sit around all day. And Nadal talked about trying to get ready about Warming 10 times. 10 times yeah. and, and what is that? It doesn't make any sense. It's one of the biggest matches he's going to play all year, and that's what they've got to go through. And I don't like it. I think that, that Anderson match should have ended 7-6 in the fifth, one way or another. For yeah. one of those guys, it would have and I would have thought we day. would have learned from the the, the Isner Mahout match years ago that it was time to stop this 70-68 in the fifth. That one, yeah. But they because it was an early round match, first round match. You know they they didn't seem to care enough. They kind of celebrated it as a water cooler moment. Yep. Instead of saying, "Is this what we really want to put the players through?" And it was painful to watch Isner and Anderson in the latter stages, really from pretty much from eight or nine all, how tired they looked. 
Oh, and and, yeah, and, and it just felt like they were the walking wounded. And that's not the way you want to see a match concluded. And you also don't want a crowd cheering for the end of the match. Not, not really rooting for one player or the other. Just cheering when they sensed that it could end. A little bit bizarre. And that's tough on the players, too. And they know that the, the, the fans are not enjoying it. So I just think that's a big mistake. And we didn't need to go over to a second day. Uh, fortunately, Nadal and Djokovic sustained their level. And they were good sports about it. But that match should have been done the first day. Should have been over on Friday night. And finally, what do you think about the decision or the, the way they handled the decision about playing, sticking with the closed roof on a sunny day? A little bit weird, but do you think that was the right call? Well, the, I, I'm surprised. The rule appears to be, at least what I was told, that both players have to agree. In other words, if Rafa and Novak had both said, yes, let's play no roof, mm-hmm. then uh, then they could have done it. But obviously, why would Djokovic want to do that? It's more in his interest to keep the roof up. I don't blame him. Uh, but I think that the rule ought to be up to the up to the tournament in that case, not necessarily the players. And I think it would have been a, a better thing because you're still on the same court. You just forget about the roof and let them play in the in the in the bright sunlight. Yeah. So that that but that's nothing compared to the fact that they had to start on Friday night around eight o'clock, finish at eleven, and then come back Saturday Saturday in, in the afternoon. That I think was unfortunate, but. They need to all examine it very carefully. Yeah, what a crazy weekend, huh? Crazy weekend. And it continues. And I know nobody really could anticipate that long a match, six hours and 36 minutes, but you have to try to anticipate it. And and, and I know that some of the people, when I walked into the center court, one of the guards was joking, what are we going to get with Anderson and Isner, 40-38 in the fifth? We had a feeling, right? Yeah, because you knew that, you know, if obviously only if it goes five, but there was always a potential for five, and that those guys start holding serve. You know, and it becomes a pattern in the fifth set. Watch out because it'll just keep going. And even when Isner was exhausted, he still served well enough to get through and give himself a chance to win. But he just couldn't put any pressure in. You saw his legs were gone, and he yeah. couldn't pressure Kevin and I. I thought it was too bad. I thought it, that match could have been shortened by a long, long time had they played a tiebreaker at 6 all instead of going all the way to 26-24. Yep. So one singles match to look forward to, Novak Djokovic, Kevin Anderson tomorrow in the Wimbledon final. Any parting thoughts, Steve? Well, I'd be, I mean, I would tip my hat to Kevin Anderson if he somehow actually found a way. I think it was going to be hard enough. We saw him against Novak three years ago on court one. Give him a real scare. Up two sets to love. They had to come back to play the fifth set the next day, and Novak had a nerve-wracking fifth set, which he won. So, and, you know, he beat Murray at once at the U.S. Open. He's, he's dangerous again. You know, you beat Roger here. So we've seen, but it's coming off success at five setters, coming off a marathon six hours and 36 minutes. I don't think he, he can stay, and, and, and Djokovic will work him. He'll have to try to cover a lot of court when Djokovic is serving. Novak's going to move him meticulously from side to side. As he did today. Yeah, yeah. And that will, I just don't know how Kevin can hold up for much more than a set. Maybe he steals a set early on, the first set somehow. I don't see it. He might, but I don't see how he wins three sets or how he stays too competitive for too long because Djokovic is the better player anyway, and now he's got him in this compromised state. But we come, we watch, and yep. we'll see what happens. And we enjoy. Yeah. Tennis Hall of Famer Steve Flink, thanks for your time. Enjoy the final tomorrow. Chris, thanks for having me on, and you enjoyed as well. Thanks to Steve Flink for sharing his expertise with us today. And I hope you guys enjoyed today's Wimbledon men's singles final between Novak Djokovic and Kevin Anderson. Djokovic going for his 13th major title today. That's going to be a wrap for this edition of the Lucky Let Cord Podcast, a Tennis Now production sponsored by Tennis Express. Enjoy today's final, and we'll talk to you from the other side of the pond. (laughs) 